Well, I can't speak for you guys, but I'm itching for a little bit of a spring football. Get me there, man. Get me there. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. I love basketball. I, I do. But, I mean, football's my bread and butter, especially in the Big 12. And we're not at spring ball yet, but we're getting there. And I was thinking about just the offseason in the Big 12 Conference. And before I get further into that, guys, uh, please take a moment out. Leave us that rating, review, subscribe. Would greatly appreciate it. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. In return, I'll send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie. All you have to do is send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we'll get the koozie in the mail for you. So really appreciate that, guys. It means the world to me if you do it, and uh, thanks so much. So now the quarterbacks that are coming back. You know, you've got eight quarterbacks returning in this conference, which is pretty darn good, an 80% return rate at your quarterback position. You know, last year, the quarterback position in the Big 12 didn't have those, like, big, sexy names. You know, they just they weren't there. I mean, yes, Jalen Hurts transfers to OU, but you think about the rest of the conference, and maybe Sam Ellinger, but that was kind of it, right? For a conference that's been defined by that position for going on, you know, two decades now, there was not that superstar power there. Even though you knew whoever was going to be quarterback for the Sooners was going to be, you know, uh, one of the best stat guys in the sport, was going to be talked about as a Heisman contender, but it, it wasn't like it typically has been in the Big 12. So I was thinking about uh, this year and this conference, and I broke up the quarterbacks into four different categories based on where we are right now in the offseason. And we'll start with category one, and that is the three senior starters returning to this conference to their respective teams. And they are Sam Ellinger at Texas, Charlie Brewer at Baylor, and Skylar Thompson at Kansas State. Now, of those three, to me, I think Sam Ellinger is the cream of the crop of that group. So that's where I'm at. Sam Ellinger is somebody who should be competing for a Heisman this year. I mean, we'll see what Mike Yurcich does. He's uh, learning not a completely new offense. I mean, Yurcich is going to have to basically mold himself to what Tom Herman has done with his offense. But there'll be some tweaks in there. And Sam Ellinger's got to learn that. The good thing is he's a senior and there's going to be a lot of pressure. You know, think about it. Texas finally has its quarterback for the first time since Colt McCoy. And if they don't win a Big 12 title with them, that's going to be a letdown to a lot of people in Austin. A lot of people are going to be let down by this. And, and by the way, I saw that uh, Tom Herman was going to be heading to Notre Dame this week. You see that? Yeah, Tom Herman's going to Notre Dame because he wants to learn how to succeed after a coaching overhaul from Notre Dame's Brian Kelly. So after 4-8 and eight in uh, 2016, that's what the Fighting Irish went in 2016, Kelly's new staff finished 10-3 and three in 17, 12-1 and one in 18, and then 11-2 and two in 2019. So Tom Herman's going to try to learn a thing or two while he's there in South Bend. So we'll uh, keep an eye on that. And then you have Charlie Brewer. I mean, Charlie Brewer is a really good quarterback, but last year's team does not go 11-3 and three, uh, without the defense. All right? I mean, Brewer was good, and he had a lot of good weapons. But uh, to me, he's he's behind Sam Ellinger. And then Skylar Thompson, uh, you know, bounce back, solid year, was comfortable being the true starting quarterback of this team, the lone starting quarterback of this team, not bouncing back and forth with Alex Delton, which was uh, not fair to both guys back in 2018. 
But still, of those three, you know, Skylar Thompson's in that third spot. In group two, I have a single person, and that is Brock Purdy. Rising junior, true junior, uh, he's a stud. And this is not ranking the quarterbacks. I'm putting the quarterbacks into different groupings in the offseason. So Brock Purdy's in his own category because I can't put him, obviously, with the three senior starters. He's not a senior. But he's ahead of the other guys who are still relatively new faces. He's got two full years of games under his belt. I mean, you want to call it a year and three quarters, fine. But basically, two full years of playing time under his belt. And it's been you know very impressive to watch it unfold. And if you were telling me, hey, could I have one guy to win a game, uh, you can make an argument for Brock Purdy. I'm not taking Brock Purdy right now as of today in late February, but uh, I may feel differently come August. Let's see how the offseason plays out. In pairing three, group three, these are the guys who have some playing time but who still are relatively uh, unknown is the wrong word. But we don't know how high that ceiling is just yet. We've seen flashes of it from these guys, but we don't know how high that ceiling is just yet. And they are Alan Bowman at Texas Tech, Max Duggan at uh, TCU, Jared Dagey at West Virginia, and Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State. You can make a case that each one of these guys is going to break out, have a monster season, and be one of the best passers in the Big 12. You can make a case for every one of them. Alan Bowman, oh, he's just got to get over the injury hump. We saw how good he could be as a true freshman. Uh, He can be back to doing that. Max Duggan, good with his feet last year. A true freshman, works through the kinks, and he's going to explode this year with uh, Jerry Kill now running that offense. Jared Dagey, just saw flashes end of last season. The transfer comes in, finally gets his shot, and boy, oh, boy, it's going to be fun after learning Neil Brown's system for a year. It's going to be great. And then Spencer Sanders. I mean, it's Oklahoma State. It's Mike Gundy. It's that high-flying offense in Stillwater. You got Chuba Hubbard back. You got Tylen Wallace back. Spencer Sanders can be one of the best quarterbacks in the Big 12 Conference, if not the best. I mean, you can make a case for each one of these guys to be a top two or three quarterback in the conference. But you can also say, hey, there's a way that each of these guys who still don't have a ton of experience Uh, playing games, especially in the Big 12, each of these guys might just be middle of the road, might just be mediocre. You know, with Alan Bowman, uh, is the injuries and and the injuries he's dealt with, are they just to the point where, you know, he's going to be playing scared and he might not be the guy? Heck, I had Matt Wells on the show last week as head coach, and it sounds to me like Bowman's going to get the first snaps, but he's not locked in as the guaranteed starter. That's not what I heard. Go back and listen to the interview. Uh, Go check it out on the podcast. You'll find it from last week. Matt Wells, Texas Tech head coach. Max Duggan was good with his legs, but can he develop a passing game? I mean, he was pretty mediocre passing the ball, and maybe a new system this year with Jerry Kill or at least some new tweaks, maybe he won't like that and won't adapt to it. Jared Dagey, was he just lightning in a bottle late last year? He comes from Bowling Green, I mean, smaller program. Was that just a guy getting lucky with teams having no tape on him? I don't know. And then Spencer Sanders, like, as good as he was last year in flashes, you had the fumbling problem, you had the turnover problem, and maybe he's not the passer that we've seen from some of the top quarterbacks in Stillwater, like uh, Mason Rudolph and uh, Brandon Whedon, where he does not have that deep ball capability. 
remains to be seen. So you can make a case either way for each of those guys, which is why I put them all in the same group. And the last group, Spencer Rattler at OU and Thomas McVitie. Now, probably the only time in the history of both of these football programs that they've had something in common, but they're the new guys, right? And I'm just assuming Spencer Rattler is probably the at least front runner for that starting quarterback job uh, in Norman. Big five-star guy last year, uh, sat out, watched the program develop, watched the team develop. He's hopefully ready. Lincoln Riley hopes he's ready to take the reins. And then Thomas McVitie had like one passing attempt last year after he transferred in uh, to KU. I'm glad that KU can move on from Carter Stanley. Let's see what McVitie has, what he's made of. But those are the new guys. Now, I expect whoever's quarterback at OU is going to end up with the best stats in the conference. That won't mean that he's the best quarterback in the Big 12, but certainly stat-wise, he'll be up there. But still, those are the new guys. You know, you've got 8 of 10 guys returning at that spot in the Big 12, the only two who aren't OU and KU. But, hey, you know, OU, it's now the fourth new starting quarterback in as many years, and all these guys end up being talked about in the Heisman conversation. So I'm not too worried about the stats, but, you know, as we break down the offseason pairings, you've got three senior starters. You've got Brock Purdy by himself. Then you've got the group of what-ifs in Bowman, Duggan, Daigie, and Spencer Sanders. And then you've got, you know, the new guys, Rattler and McVitie. And I uh, I can't wait to get there. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch uh, spring practice unfold here in the coming weeks across the Big 12. Starting to feel like spring in Kansas City, by the way. Uh, not sure about where you are, but I can't wait. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Let's talk Big 12 basketball with our guy Matthew Postens. That's coming up next, Heartland College Sports Weekly. Hey there, it's Pete Mundo. And guys, if you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? Well, Americans have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Ridiculous. And if you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want that treatment ASAP. You do. Don't kid yourself. You do. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment that you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or a computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. That's it. That's all you have to do. With Roman, there's no commitments, and you can cancel it at any time. And if the doctor decides the treatment's right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication With free two-day shipping, you also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash Heartland for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Heartland for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Well, as we do each and every time this week, it's always great to have on Matthew Postens of HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Joining us on Heartland College Sports Weekly does a great job covering this conference on the basketball side for us. And boy, we've got uh, just a couple weeks until the Big 12 tournament, Matthew. And right now I'm looking at this OU team and thinking, are they in the big dance after beating Texas Tech this week? Uh, What say you? Uh, I think it helps them significantly. Uh, I think going into the game, they were considered a either a last four in or a last four out by uh, Lenardi and uh, Palm in terms of bracketology. 
And, you know, a win like that, even with it being on a neutral site, it's a, it's a significant victory for them because it gives them a win over a ranked team, uh, gives them a win over a team that I think most people would agree is probably better than them. Uh, from a talent standpoint. And when you're getting down to this point in the season, you want to be able to show the committee that you're peaking at the right time. So to have them lose those three games in a row, and granted two of those losses were against Kansas and Baylor, so they were a little forgivable, to be able to show them that you bounced back after that bad loss to Oklahoma State and beat a ranked Texas Tech team, I think that's going to mean a lot to the committee. Ultimately, right now, the way they're tracking, I think they'll end up in the NCAA tournament, albeit as maybe a 10 or 11 seed. Matthew Poston's our guest. I'm Pete Mundo. So, Matthew, they are playing West Virginia this weekend. Talk about a team in free fall. They're still in the top 25 this week. Uh, how much does that say about the mediocrity in college basketball this season? Um, I think it certainly speaks to it. And I don't consider West Virginia to be necessarily a mediocre team. I think their problems are that they just don't have any consistent outside shooting. Um, they don't have a guy or two out there like Kansas, like Oklahoma, like Texas, like Baylor, who can light it up to the three-pointer. And then I don't think they really have consistent point guard play either. I mean, when you think about what they can do offensively, it's a lot A lot of it is 10 feet from the basket and in with Toshiboy and Culver and even Jermaine Haley driving to the basket. They rebound well. They play defense well. But, you know, that – inconsistently offensively, especially when you consider how Jekyll and Hyde they are between being home and road, uh, it lends them to being probably a team that we probably overrated after that run they had in January. Uh, But as it speaks to the rest of the country, yeah, I think to a certain degree, the fact that they have had such a bad February and they are still in the top 25, I think uh, think it certainly speaks to the fact that there aren't as many top-shelf teams in college basketball this year as we're used to. Now, with the win, of course, for the Texas Longhorns, maybe a little bit of the uh, pressure comes off a shock of smart. But I know, Matthew, you know, you've been uh, pretty critical here the past couple of weeks, and, and how could you not be? Uh, what is the shock of smart hot seat at right now? I know we're talking about it every week, but it's kind of the one that we're watching the most. I think it cools a little bit, but, you know, again, they've won three games in a row. But, you know, you, you got to look at who they've beaten, too. I mean, TCU. Iowa State, uh, the win over West Virginia, that's a significant victory for them. But, you know, they're they're beating teams right now that they should be beating. I'm really interested to see how they play the next three games because with Jericho Sims out, he's missed the last couple of games with a back injury, they've really had to lean on their guard play. And their guards have played great. Andrew Jones, Courtney Ramey, Matt Coleman III, all three of them have played very well in this stretch. And the thing with Texas is if they shoot the ball well, especially from outside, they win games. So if they can continue to do that and then get just enough from their guys inside to, to keep teams honest, then I think they could actually go on a little bit of a sprint here at the end where they might end up with 18, 19 wins, and that might get them into the NCAA tournament. Now, whether that saves Shaka Smart's job or not, I'm still not 100% sure. I think the fact that Texas would have to pay the $10 million buyout and then have to pay a new coach and then probably have to pay that new coach's buyout at their old school I think that plays as much of a factor in whether he comes back next season as the, the up-and-down nature of how they've played uh, the past uh, past couple of months. I will say this. I like the fact that they're playing more up-tempo. I like the fact that they're, they're pushing their defense down the court a little bit more. They need to start doing more of those things, regardless of who they recruit in the future. If Shaka Smart is the head coach next year, he needs to think about going back to some of the things that made him more successful at Virginia Commonwealth.
Matthew, are you hearing some of these? And I'm just kind of reading this, and um, it, it kind of makes sense. John Beeline, you know, leaves the Cavs. Uh, Texas trying to make a big splash. Could you see that? Have you heard anything on that? I haven't heard anything on that. I could certainly see him being a candidate if Texas decided to make a change. I mean, when you look at Beeline's track record, he has been successful at every college basketball stop that he has been at. He just wasn't a good fit in the NBA. I mean, it's a it's a different psychology when you're a college coach as opposed to a pro coach. And some coaches just aren't able to make that adjustment. And I think with Beeline, he just – he wasn't able to do it, plus he had some personal things that were going on, and I think he just wanted to step away. Maybe he didn't like the way things were going in Cleveland. Uh, you don't have as much say in personnel when you're a head coach in the NBA as you do in college. Uh, but certainly if Texas decided to make a move, a proven winner like Beeline, who has been to the NCAA tournament, who has won games, who has been to Sweet 16s, uh, who has done it you know, at Michigan and at West Virginia, I would think he would be a coach that would be very attractive to them, plus you don't have to pay him a buyout because he's currently unemployed. Yeah, that, that is a uh, very good point. Matthew Poston's joining us. I'm Pete Mundo. We are Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Top of the conference, uh, Matthew, you know, you had last week's game. Kansas gets the win over Baylor, snaps that 23-game winning streak. And last week or two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that you think still Kansas is the team to beat, even though at that point it was Baylor who had beaten KU and Lawrence. How do you see these two teams when you talk about March Madness, the NCAA tournament? How do they each stack up as of today? I think they're going to be the two of the hardest teams to get out of the tournament, and, and for different reasons. Kansas has Adoka as a bequay, and you know, in the past, I've, I really haven't given him a lot of credit for the development of his game, uh, in part because he's had injuries that have kept him on the sideline the last two years. But his game has developed significantly this year. He's not just a guy who stands five feet from the basket and dunks the ball and rebounds the ball. He can set picks. He can get out in the perimeter and, and get his guy out of the paint to create space for the guards. Uh, he's a much better player than he was last year or the year before. And I think the fact that he's been fully healthy has had a great deal to do with that. But you saw it against Baylor on Saturday. It's really hard to decide how to defend him. Do you do you put a guy in front of him and you, do you risk the lob? Or do you put a guy behind him and try to defend him face-to-face? It's really difficult to do either one of those things yeah, if you're a defensive team. And that makes him one of the biggest mismatches in the tournament. For Baylor, it's their pressure defense and their guard play. They have four guys in the perimeter that can light it up every night. And when you add in the way Freddie Gillespie and Mark Vidal can clear, clean things up inside and still score, that makes them, to me, one of the most complete teams uh, in going into the tournament. So with Kansas, it's the mismatch inside with Ezebique. With Baylor, it's the completeness of their team. As long as they don't have a bad shooting night or as long as Kansas doesn't lose Ezebique or, for that matter, Devin Dotson to a, an injury, I can see both of those teams making it to the Elite Eight. Very interesting. Matthew Postens is our guest. So then, Matthew, as you look at the rest of this conference right now, there does appear to be a drop-off. Uh, Texas Tech, I mean, what does Chris Beard have this year? It's really been a very seesaw season for them. What is this team as it heads down the home stretch? I think they're a team that, um, obviously, with their experience, both uh, with Chris Beard as coach and their players, I think they can make a run in the tournament, albeit, albeit I think we're probably looking at maybe a Sweet 16 run. But I think the real difference makers for them, A, are going to be the matchup. I don't think they can match up with a team that has a lot of height inside because as good as T.J. Holyfield has been this season, they simply don't have the guy inside like a Lorenzo Diossi who can clear the paint out 
on either side of the floor and create space for the rest of those players. And they're going to have to shoot well from outside. Uh, Jameis Ramsey uh, has had a really good season. He's probably going to be the Big 12 freshman of the year. Uh, when he and Tyler Edwards and Davide Moretti are shooting well from outside, it's really hard to defend this team because you've got to extend your guards to defend them. And then Holyfield and the other players that they have inside can do enough offensively to beat you. So I think as long as they're able to – to keep that inside-outside game stretched out enough so the defenses can't really double-team anybody or can't sag into the perimeter, uh, I think they have a pretty good chance of getting out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. But they have much less margin for error than they did last year uh, with the uh, transfers, Owens and, and Mooney, really giving them two really unique skill sets uh, that allowed them to get to the Final Four. Matthew Poston's our guest here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. So, Matthew, you've got uh, two weeks until the Big 12 tournament. Who, who do you think can change their fortunes the most before we get to uh, Kansas City and the Sprint Center? Boy, you've got a big chunk of teams sitting there at 7-8 and eight or 6-9. and nine. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because some of those teams might actually need that game that first day of the tournament to kind of help themselves. When you think about Oklahoma State, uh, they're a team that's 500 right now. When you think about TCU, there are a couple of games above 500. Uh, for those two teams, they might need to play the first day of the tournament just to get a game or two above 500 to make themselves more attractive to the NIT committee. I, I've contended all season that if you're a Big 12 team and you finish the season either 500 or better, you have a chance to go to the postseason simply because it's a Big 12, it's a Power 5 conference, and even the NIT is going to be looking for teams like that for those teams that don't, don't get into the NCAA tournament. So there's a big seeding battle going on right now between four and really seven, maybe even eight at this point. And West Virginia is involved in that. Texas, Oklahoma, TCU, even Iowa State, if they could go on a run the next couple of weeks. Do you want to play that first day of the tournament and maybe get that extra win that might help impress somebody or, or boost your record in a way that would make you more attractive to the NIT or the NCAA? Or do you want to just try and, and get into the top six, avoid that first day of play, and then hope maybe you can beat you know, Texas Tech or West Virginia or in Oklahoma and do it that way? It, it, I find that piece of it to be very intriguing because a lot can happen in that little that gap of space uh, between four and eight in this conference in the next three games because they're bunched so close. Matthew Postens, you read them all the time, heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. Matthew, enjoy the games this weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks, Pete. He's Matthew Postens, always great to have him on. Coming up, Shaka Smart, what should Texas do? We'll get to it next on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Well, we've got a few minutes left with you in Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. I'm Pete Mundo. Thanks so much for joining us. And I want to touch on Shaka Smart here for a few minutes because it just felt like this program was going absolutely nowhere. And I'm not convinced it's necessarily going somewhere right now, although, you know, they're recruiting well. They always recruit well. Shaka Smart has not had a problem recruiting. His problem has been winning games when he's recruiting as well as Candace is, right? I mean, that that's a major problem right now, and it has been for a long time for this uh, program. But the Longhorns have now won three in a row. Now, it has not been against a slate of great competition, but still, three in a row uh, when you had lost four straight before that against TCU by 14, Kansas State by 11, and then West Virginia by 10 is certainly something Shaka Smart will stake, especially when it looks like he's on the hot seat. 
But he's got three games left. He's got uh, at Texas Tech on Saturday, at Oklahoma on Tuesday, and then Case uh, Oklahoma State, excuse me, a week from Saturday, and then of course the Big Twelve tournament the following week in Kansas City. So I mean, if he goes two and one these next couple of games, I mean, suddenly you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, here's Texas. At that point, they would be nineteen and twelve, not terrible. In the Big Twelve, they'd be. And even nine and nine, uh, if they beat OU, could they pop and then maybe win a game or two in the Big 12 tournament? Are we talking about this Longhorns team slipping into like a, you know, first four game situation? It's not crazy. It's not impossible. And then I don't know what you do with Shaka Smart, right? Is that going to be fool's gold where he does just enough in a bad season to kind of justify keeping him around? He's got a big buyout. We talked to Matthew Postens about that earlier. I get it. But you're Texas, right? I guess the other part of it is, you know, how – and I don't say this in a bad way. So Texas fans don't take this the wrong way. But how arrogant is Texas from the standpoint of how good do they want to be at basketball? Do they think that they can get John Beeline – who, of course, was a legend at Michigan and then went to the NBA, realized it's not for him, and left the Cavaliers here in the past couple of weeks and just basically back up the dump truck and say, hey, you know what, uh, John, you're our guy. Come down to Austin. We've got new uh, facilities. We've got a new arena coming in. Uh, let's do it. Let's get it done. But I don't think you just fire Shaka Smart. Regardless, I don't think you fire Shaka Smart if the options are, you know, some group of five coach, and I'm not saying a group of five coach can't be good. I mean, Chris Beard will tell you otherwise. But I just feel like Texas needs a rock star or it's got to stay the course. They screwed up firing Rick Barnes. There's no other way to put it. That was a, And look what he's done at Tennessee. They totally screwed that up. They got a little too overly confident about what they should be in that sport. And Rick Barnes, damn good coach, too. Damn good coach. That was a bad job, and they wanted the young, hot guy on the market in Shaka Smart, and it's just it's not working out. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. It's not a great slate of games this weekend uh, for the Big 12. You know, you've got Texas at Texas Tech, but that's one of the more intriguing games because of what might be on the line. You've got the Sunflower Showdown round two. Maybe we'll see a brawl in the octagon like we saw in Lawrence a few weeks back. Baylor's at TCU, total snooze. Uh, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, eh, no, I mean, no, no, no. And then OU West Virginia in Morgantown is pretty good because uh, West Virginia is sliding like crazy. I think they're in the tournament no matter what, but they are sliding like crazy. They've lost five of their past six games. They've got OU, Iowa State, and Baylor left on the schedule. So the Mountaineers are sliding. OU still sitting there right on that bubble. I, I'd say they're in right now, but – They'd like to get another couple of wins, and a road win at West Virginia would go a long way to solidifying you know, that NCAA tournament bid. So keeping an eye on that, but very, very interesting to you know watch and see how this unfolds. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, uh, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Some mock drafts are starting to come out as we wrap up the show, and I always look for the Big 12 guys, right? So I just happened to pull up this CBS Sports draft, and you know, it's got Joe Burrow at, t- at the top going to the Bengals, Chase Young, Ohio State to the Redskins. Go on down the list, uh, Tua Tungavaloa to the Dolphins at number five. The first Big 12 player is C.D. Lamb, Oklahoma wide receiver, at number 11 to the New York Jets. 
I think that's a good pick, by the way. I think CeeDee Lamb's going to do really well in the NFL and do a really good job at the next level. So, I, I, you know, wherever CeeDee Lamb ends up, I think he's going to be pretty successful. He needs a mildly competent quarterback, but I think he can really make it work at that next level. But outside of that, you know, you look at Big 12 guys in this mock NFL draft that I'm looking at at CBSSports.com, and there's only two other guys, and they're both from the same school, and it's not the place you'd think. Ross Blacklock, defensive lineman, TCU, at number 20 to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then also, yes, from TCU. How about this? And this is a really good pick. Jeff Gladney, cornerback, at number 25 to the Minnesota Vikings. And Mike Zimmer loves drafting young quarterbacks for CBS Sports. And it's one of their needs, and Gladney is versatile. And I think that he is going to be somebody who is going to really shine at the next level. Like, it's one of those things where those of us in the Big 12 will look back and say, oh, yeah, Jeff Gladney, he's an all-pro. That makes sense. Real stud. He got overlooked this past year because TCU was mediocre. TCU naturally does not get the attention of OU in Texas. And, you know, that team was all about defense this year. They couldn't score any points. That was their problem. That's why they didn't have a good year or, by their standards, did not have a good year. But it wasn't the fault of Jeff Gladney. I mean, that guy's a lockdown, shutdown cornerback who was a, a – and it will be, I think, a really good player at the next level. So not great for the Big 12 if they only have three guys go in the first round. You want to have more. You know, the SEC in this list has double digits. But you'll you'll take it. And two from TCU, that'd be great for Gary Patterson on the recruiting trail. You know, not that he needs any more help. He's doing well, but that would be great for him. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. We appreciate uh, you guys listening, whether it's through the radio, podcast, uh, whatever it might be. Thanks for checking out the show and being a part of it. So we are inching closer towards spring ball. Enjoy the college hoops this weekend. Kansas City Big 12 tournament coming up in a couple weeks. We'll talk to you next week, same time, same place.